0: This is Shifting Our Schools episode 161, Shifting PD Praxis, Reimagining Our Recipe.
1: You're listening to the Shifting Our Schools podcast with our host, Jeff Utick. Did you know the Shifting Schools team responds to the requests of listeners like you? The content we share, the questions we ask, the resources we build are inspired by the hundreds of emails, tweets, and Facebook messages we get each month. Do you have a topic or resource you'd love to hear Jeff explore? Head over to our show notes to learn more about ways to be heard. Now, on with the show!
0: Well, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I'm your host, Jeff Udick. I hope this episode finds you safe and healthy. If you tuned in last week, you know this is the final episode of our special podcast challenge series, Shifting PD Praxis. If you didn't catch the first two episodes in this series, head over to shiftingschools.com where you can check out the new homepage that gives you access to this entire podcast challenge and to the various free resources that come with it. As we wrap up this three-episode challenge, I want to give a shout-out to my colleague, Tricia Friedman, who put together the framework for this challenge and created all the free guides that we gave away as well. You can catch Trisha on her own podcast at allyed.org and learn how we all can be better allies for our students and the LBGTQ community. This has been a very different year for professional development. We've seen new approaches and perhaps connected with other educators this year in ways we haven't in the past. And right now is an important time to reflect on what has worked better when it comes to professional development. Because, yes, a crisis forces us to innovate, a crisis lets us break the mold. I'm excited to share this last episode of our challenge as I reflect on what the last year has taught me and walk you through my own reflection and thinking process of the future of professional development. This episode is very much an insight into how the knowledge economy works and how bringing together a wide range of content fosters new and exciting thoughts and innovations. I want to open with a reflection from educator Ceci Gomez-Galvez, who shares what shifts she's noticed in the world of professional development.
2: One thing that I certainly see that is shifting in the professional learning and growth of teachers is the access, the equitable access to professional learning. Since we have been kind of pushed into going virtual for a lot of the things that we do as teachers, um, it has also become more manageable for everybody to get access to professional development that before was exclusive of time and space and money. And now that has become a lot more Um, accessible. And I know as a person who comes from a country where not everything is always accessible, I find that a lot of people that I know from different parts of the globe are able to access professional development and grow as teachers because of the current state of virtual sharing. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's a big shift. And also that that also allows us to design Professional learning experiences for teachers in a more authentic way. We can share new knowledge and strategies and resources online and also model how we might teach our students in a virtual setting. And so it could be a win-win for us in terms of the way that we deliver professional learning in the way that we have attendees or teachers um, experiencing the professional learning Opportunities and also how far and wide we can offer it because of its access now.
0: I love what Ceci said because I think about it all the time. Professional development is an opportunity for us to experience the shifts in education as a learner if professional development is designed that way. There are quite a few resources you'll hear me refer to in today's episode. And I want to remind you that we have links to all of them in the show notes below. Taking this reflection from Ceci, I want to next read a quote from Research for Better Teaching, specifically a post by their CEO and founder, John Sapphire, called The Courage to Lead. Here's the quote I'd like to share with you. Quote, Courage can be developed. Courage can be learned. If we want to be thought of as courageous leaders who get results for children, we can make it so, as Captain Kirk used to say. Courage is not being fearless. It is recognizing one's fears, pushing through them, and acting anyway. None of us yet have all the skills one would want to lead for a breakthrough school or district. But we have enough. We're ready to push to the next level. End quote. John reminds us that we can develop our courage as leaders because he also knows that whenever we try to make any change in school, we have to confront a whole lot of fear. In his post, he lists seven specific fears. Please do read the whole post for that complete list. But for our purpose in this series, I want to highlight one fear he lists. John writes specifically about the fear of conflict. Quote, Fear of conflict. If I bring this belief up, it will start polarizing debates that will be divisive. In fact, it may provoke a firestorm that will consume a lot of energy, mine as well as others. I don't like conflict like this, nor know how to handle it. I want to next pair John's thinking with that of another researcher, Laura McBain, from Stanford D School. You can read the full post, Educators as Futurist, on the education reimagine.org site. Laura writes, I believe that educators are shaping the future. Every day, we consciously and unconsciously make choices that shape the experiences of our young people, End quote. Why did I want to pair these two quotes together? Because when I sit with them side by side, here's the new question that emerges for me. How are educators learning to be courageous futurists? Now, in my mind, We can only become courageous futurists if the professional development we have in schools is designed to encourage compassionate and creative debate. In the show notes, you'll find a link to a video called Reflective Imperception. I strongly recommend that you watch the full video. In fact, let's call that the first challenge of today's episode. After you're done listening here, go watch the video, or if you would like to pause here, go watch that video and then join us again. Again, the link can be found in the show notes. Either way, the snippet I am about to quote from it is a great reminder for schools as they try to see professional development as a way to dig into their school's capacity for compassionate, creative debate. Quote, However dramatically different someone else's perspective might be from our own, instead of dismissing it, we can patiently try to understand the hunger, the need, and the space they might be coming from. We can try putting ourselves in their shoes. It may require an extra effort on our part to do so. End quote. And now as I reflect on my original question, How are educators learning to be courageous futurists? My question starts to morph into, How is our professional development practice helping courageous futurists, our teachers, learn to better understand each other? If we want teachers to face the future with courage and to feel truly inspired to do their best to understand one another... We have to make sure teachers feel valued during their professional development time. Asking educators to look to tomorrow bravely, to feel empowered to take risks, and to then be called on to build critical relationships with their peers is a tall order. So I want to ask a few educators how they have felt valued in their professional development experiences. Carrie Younglin, is a educator out of Oregon, and I'm honored to say she's taken part in quite a few of the Shifting School Professional Development Learning Series this past year. Here's what she told us makes her feel valued as an educator. As I was thinking about my answers to this question,
3: I felt like my answers are similar to how a teacher can make students feel valued. It's nice to have a choice in how I learn the content, so giving me options to watch, read, or listen the material. I especially appreciate it when I am able to read text ahead of time, which allows me to take my time and really process the content before having a conversation or applying it. Knowing that as a professional, my past experiences matter, so being provided a time or space to share my own experiences with other teachers in the PD and using those experiences to, to connect to the content makes me feel valued. I also appreciate it when the facilitators have formed groups intentionally. Sometimes I need processing time with teachers in my content area. And other times it helps me to think outside the box when I hear from other teachers that aren't in my content area. A way to value my time is to provide time for some application of what we are learning. Teachers don't really have free time to try new things. Whether it be starting to design a lesson using a new strategy we just learned or brainstorming with a thought partner for different ways to apply a new strategy. My time feels valued when it's not just sit and get of information but a chance to start thinking about how I can put this information to use in my classroom tomorrow. And the last thing I was thinking about was just like our students, it's nice to have some time to connect with the facilitators in some way or get feedback
0: from them to let me know I'm on the right track. Thanks, Carrie, for sharing that. Now let's turn to the other side of the globe where we get to hear the insight of Dr. Ellen Hating, who reaches us from Australia.
4: One characteristic of professional development workshops that I feel values me as an educator is when facilitators incorporate time into their workshops for me to experiment with the content and models proposed and apply them to my own context. As a lifelong learner, I love hearing about new protocols, tools or approaches, but unless I get some time and space to play around with them and see how I can apply them to my own setting and really make them my own, they tend to go in one ear and out the other. So intentionally incorporating time into a workshop where I can apply the learning to what I want to teach in my own classroom shows me that the workshop presenter values my time and expertise as an educator. Another element of professional development workshops that makes me feel truly valued as a professional is when the presenter or facilitator knows their audience. Just like we as teachers strive to know our learners in our classrooms, It makes me feel valued when facilitators have reached out before workshops to gather some data about who the audience is, and then adjusted the workshop accordingly.
0: What did you notice about both statements? For me, what really stood out is the need for trust. Trust that I have something to add. Trust that I'll be bringing valuable experiences to the conversation. And trust... That I will do great things when given the time to do them. So, once again, after hearing these reflections, my question continues to morph from how is our professional development practice helping courageous futurists, our teachers, learn to better understand each other? To now, How is our professional development practice communicating to our courageous futurists that we trust them fully? I edited out the part about better understanding one another because the more I think about it, the more I believe that trust cultivates better relationships. And I think if a school culture is steeped in trust, that will permeate the campus and educators will listen and collaborate better. Researcher Paul Sack writes about this in an article for Harvard Business Review, where he found, quote, employees in high-trust organizations are more productive, have more energy at work, collaborate better with their colleagues, and stay with their employers longer than people working at low-trust companies. They also suffer less chronic stress and are happier with their lives, and these factors fuel stronger performance, end quote. I've experienced this, and maybe you have too. We know when our bosses or our peers don't trust us. We feel it in the way we might be micromanaged and not heard. Not only does it hurt the health of our organization, but it hurts our personal health too. Next, I want to hear from a school leader on their insight on best ways to value educators through professional development. Here's what Daniela Silva has to say.
2: I feel value as an educator when PD is about building collaborative experiences. It is relevant to my context and allows for some reflective practice. During our current situation, you know, face to face, online, or hybrid PD is very different from each other in its design, application, and follow up. At the end of the day, I feel value as an educator when a PD company provider or facilitator first. 6. My interests and also my skills or background knowledge about a particular tool or concept that they're covering.
0: That's powerful to note. The value and trust we communicate starts before the professional development does. It starts in the pre-thinking. The questions we ask or don't ask speaks volumes. Thanks, Daniela. I'm going to take a long, hard look at the pre-Pathway questionnaires we will be sending out to our August workshop participants. Specifically, I want to look harder at one of those tools we use with many of our professional development pathways, what we refer to as a portable portfolio or a journal. And that's actually the free guide that goes with this episode, our template of portfolios that we've shared through our library of free resources. We have a variety of templates, and each one has a wide array of frames to think through. As I reflect through this episode today, here's the new question I want to ask about these frameworks when I use them with learners. Tell me what your experience with documentation has been when it comes to professional development. I do believe that having a portfolio or a journal as an educator helps us reflect better, sets us up for richer collegial discussions, especially when schools make sure we have time for reflection, not just for students, but for adult learners too. A framework or frame gives our minds something to focus on, a way to wrap our thoughts around something. I hope you try out one of our frames in this week's free guide and reflect on the process you go through as you reflect. One of the biggest takeaway lessons I have from the past year of what some refer to as pandemic PD is that teachers deserve and do great things when given the time to schedule their own professional development. I'm a big believer in looking at the data. So after hundreds of online workshops we've delivered through Shifting Schools, I wanted to check and see which was more popular, participants coming to the live sessions or participants watching the recordings of workshops. And I realized it wasn't truly an either-or outcome, but rather a both. We had way more educators coming live and then wanting to review the recordings later on that I would have ever anticipated. There is a lot of research on the value of instructional videos for students and I'm wondering if maybe we need more research on the value of instructional video content for teachers. And I'm wondering, by making both available to teachers, do we show them we trust their professionalism to engage in the professional development at their own time, at their own pace? If you follow our free newsletter, or our Twitter account, you'll be hearing more and more about our upcoming opportunity to learn in that format. A blended model of live and self-paced professional development, which is part of what we call our team-paced pathways. And the way they are designed is our attempt to answer this week's question I have floated in my brain right now. How is our professional development practice communicating to our courageous futurists that we trust them fully? In our minds, a team-paced pathway is basically a professional development structure that allows for the educator to have autonomy over the pace of their learning while always having a team to rely on. Our team-paced pathways have a community they belong to in our Shifting Schools Slack workspace that runs in tandem with the professional development. And here's the thing. We set up a few basic channels and processes but we also turn over the keys to our participants to start discussions with anyone in the learning community. So for example, if you take our team-paced pathway on assessment, you get access to all those conversations, but we don't restrict where and how you learn. So if you want to engage and learn from others taking the blended learning strategies team-based pathway, you get to learn and hear from them as well, or the team-based pathway on inclusive classrooms. Once you are in our community, We trust that you will engage the way you need to, where you need to, how you want to. We trust in open, professional communication. I've consulted with a few school leaders now on using a tool like Slack to harness a space for questions, debate, and collaboration within a school community. There's a lot that needs to change in terms of communication workflow at schools. The onslaught of email is a real headache for some, and there's a lot that needs to be done to refocus reflection in schools too. I've seen too many schools try to initiate something like student portfolio projects without involving teachers in that experience firsthand. What would happen if we gave teachers the flexibility they deserve to choose when they would engage with professional development? and we ran it alongside of just-in-time community tools like Slack and made sure we valued personal reflection with a well-crafted portfolio design. Take all that and then add in a few real-time community building events, and well, that's our team-paced pathway option. Here's the thing. You don't have to join ours to experience it. Of course, I'd love for you to do that and become an even greater part of our community at Shifting Schools. But I'm sharing this recipe here because I think the model is a powerful one for your school to consider. And I think it is a model that then can be replicated in the classroom. The recipe boils down to this. Autonomy community, reflection, connection. Work at your own pace, contribute to a community, reflect on your learning, and cultivate connections with others. From my experience this year, and tapping back into what educators like Daniela, Carrie, and Ellen have told us, here's what we boil this down to. Educators need and want autonomy the choice and flexibility frees us up to do the courageous work that we are asked to do as educators. We contribute to a community because we know our contributions are valued and honored. We want and deserve a structure for reflection as we know this can be profound and meaningful when we are provided the time to do so. And lastly, connections beget connection when we set aside space to listen to each other's experiences and perspectives. When I look back at that recipe, I hope you get the same sense that I do that trust is baked in. Again, I want to remind you that the research says it is key. Jennifer Barker, Dean of Learning Design, Writes in her article Designing Effective Professional Development for Ambition Institute that, quote, professional development will be most effective in a school culture where the learner feels valued and trusted, end quote. So this takes us to our final challenge for this week. I want you to think back on all the professional development you experienced this past year. And I want you to write down three times you felt deeply and profoundly trusted as a professional? In fact, I'm going to give you a few seconds here to think about that. Can you write down or reflect in your own head, when did you feel deeply and profoundly trusted as a professional this year? Next, reflect on how easy or how challenging it was for you to write this list out or remember those times. Here's what I'd challenge you to do next. Invite one or two peers to join you in this exercise and discuss how complicated or how simple it was to land on your final list of three. Again, the question is, When did you feel deeply and profoundly trusted as a professional this year? What does that list tell you and your peers about your school's current recipe for designing professional development? What might it tell you about your recipe for instructional design in your classroom? Lastly, what question or questions inform your final recipe? My suggestion would be to get that big essential question right before you start working on your recipe and perhaps to test it to see whether or not it truly is an essential question. In their book, Essential Questions, Jay McTighe and Grant Wiggins put forward seven characteristics that allow us to test whether or not a question is really and truly essential. Here's the characteristic I'd like to highlight. Quote, a good essential question recurs over time. That is, the question can and should be revisited again and again, end quote. Sounds like reflection to me. So if you can pin down the big question that may influence your recipe for professional development, it might be a great idea to document it now in your journal or portfolio. Share it and visit it again in a month with a peer or a small team, maybe even visit it again in August as you prepare for the next school year. If you are inspired to share your thinking on any of those questions or share your recipe, please do consider recording a one to three minute voice memo and sending it to info at And if you don't know how to send a voice memo, no worries, reach out to us and we'll walk you through the steps. It can all be done on any smartphone with a few simple clicks. For more on this challenge and to find all the resources we discussed in this episode, head over to shiftingschools.com and find all the links right there on our homepage. Our final free reflective template this week has a step by step structure to help you work out your recipe, as well as how to work on your big question. We hope this is useful to you and your community. This episode also wraps up our three-part challenge, and we'd like to gather some feedback from you on this format, if you are willing to give us just a few moments of your time. We have a quick survey in the show notes for you. Did you like these three-part series? Did you not like it? What would you like more from us in the future? Your feedback will allow us to reflect and continue asking our own big questions in the future. Thank you in advance for taking time out of your busy schedule to help us be better. Thank you. And until next time, I'll see you on the network.
1: Thank you for being a part of the hashtag schools community. We love when listeners like you weigh in. So head over to our show notes to find ways to share your thoughts. Have a request for a future episode? Jeff and his team love supporting you with the content you need. Shifting Our Schools podcast is a proud production of the Shifting Schools team. Looking for a longer interactive conversation about the ideas shared in this session? Contact us at info at to find out about our workshops.